the book of Matthew 26 this morning. If you would go there in the word of God. Napoleon and Waterloo, uh, you know that he had a great defeat at Waterloo. And so there was a snippet that came out from this incident or rather from this portion of history. And the story goes that Napoleon met with some of his leading generals to analyze the battle's flawed strategies. And in the course of their discussion, the little general pointed at England on the colored map before them and said bitterly, except for that red spot, I would be master of the world. When you think about those words that Napoleon spoke, I could only reflect on the same words that Satan would speak. Except for that red spot, I would have control over them. That was the same truth. As you and I are Christians, the reason why we are protected is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when Satan looks at us, he is intending to defeat us, he is intending to do all that he can to violate us and to attack us and to assault us. He is intending to defeat us once and for all. But except for that one red spot in our lives, that cross of Jesus Christ that is present in our life, because of that one spot, he cannot reign in our lives. And I want to talk to you for a few moments, a sermon I've called Valuing the Cross. Because the uniqueness of Christianity, what makes Christianity so unique is the existence of the cross. When you remove the cross, you remove Christianity. Christianity in essence began at the cross. The cross is central to our faith. If the cross didn't exist, what we believe is fertile. And in Matthew 26, I was reading this passage with my kids the other night. And the sermon came about from that reading. And on Tuesday night, if you were, you were here, you were watching, we, did, we prayed. And in my prayer, I was feeling a sense of burden about how we view the cross of Jesus Christ about how the cross had been so devalued in our Christian society today, where the cross no longer carries the premium value that it once carried. It has lost its flavor. It has lost its centrality in Christianity. And I think this is one reason why Christianity is in the state it is in today. And I begin to think about this passage. We were reading it two, three days probably ago. And I begin to have this thought that came to me in Matthew 26, 1 through 5. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. And plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said not during the feast, 
lest there be an uproar among the people. So when I read this passage, it flooded my mind. The evil, the wickedness and the intentions that they had towards an innocent man. They conspired, they concocted a plan to take this man's life. And undeniably, if we go back to history, we will understand they wanted to crucify him because of blasphemy. Now, blasphemy is, is in essence one of the greatest sins uh, in the Jewish custom, one of the greatest sins that you would, one of the greatest broken laws. It is of the highest, of the highest sin to be broken. And the Bible says that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. So this offended the people, this offended the Jews, this offended the people of their time. The chief priests could not accept this because to them it seemed like Jesus was insulting God. And so if you think about it, the judgment was appropriate in a sense that yes, Jesus said he was the son of God. So it would be appropriate to crucify a man who blasphemed God except for the fact that Jesus was telling the truth. Now, if Jesus was faking it, it would be a different story. If I went to you and I said, I'm the son of God, stone me, kill me, <laughs> right? Because that's fake. But what Jesus was saying, no doubt, created and instigated a stir, but he spoke the truth. You read in Matthew 26, 65 to 66. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witness? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. So, the physical force behind the crucifixion rested on their refusal to accept who Jesus says he is. The reason the crucifixion proceeded forward was because here were men, here were the, here were the chief priests and the Jews and the people of that time who refused to accept the truth of who Jesus said he is. So here we find, beloved, Jesus spoke the truth. They refused to accept it and Jesus had to go through the torture, the pain, the agony of being persecuted and crucified and nailed to the cross. But we know that the end of it all, it turned out for the glory of God. The cross had to exist. This had to happen. And all of these had to take place in order for the cross of Calvary to have its power. My intention this morning to you as I preach this is to emphasize to you what Jesus had to endure. He spoke the truth, but he had to face the consequences of persecution. He had to endure what was going on behind the scenes because Christianity, in essence, is nothing without the cross. So in order to get to the cross, Jesus had to endure a lot. 
In order to get to the cross, Jesus had to go through a lot. Which led me to the question then, what, what is it with Christians today that seem to have lost value of Christianity? We are unique because we have the cross. And to associate ourselves with others, it's the height of blasphemy because we simply say the cross didn't exist. I'll tell you, there are many religions in the world, but only in Christianity you find the cross. The suffering, the pain, the enduring, agonizing difficulty Jesus had to go through and that troubles me because the pain and agony that Jesus had to experience is what purchased my forgiveness. It's what made you without guilt anymore. It's because of that sacrifice. You know, we know that every year they celebrate Hari Raya Korban and they would bring a cow and place the cow on the altar and, 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 and sacrifice the cow for, they say, their sins. We know that, you know, as the Hindus may have Batu caves where they would climb up those steps, pierce themselves and begin to undergo that agonizing pain and difficulties and all of that. But beloved, in all of that, all of that that happens, there's only the cross that represents forgiveness for humanity and I think that's why we take it for granted. Such a price that he paid and yet we somehow as Christians don't value the cross anymore. I say to you this morning, Jesus, I said it to the Bible study on Friday, Jesus wouldn't have had to suffer and die if there was another way. That is the centrality that sets Christianity apart. Jesus made a way to reconcile men with God. The leading up to the cross, the, uh, the leading up to the cross significantly describes the many times, think with me, the leading up to Calvary signifies the number of times Jesus could have just ran away. He said, I don't need this. Oh, you call yourself the Son of God. Jesus got no lah, just joking lah. <laughs> Not true lah. Because. <laughs> Because I don't want to face the, I don't want to pay the, Jesus did, he could have ran on a number, but he refused to. This is what intrigued me about the next scripture we're going to read. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He started the faith, he finished it, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured it despising the shame, putting aside his pride, putting aside his ego, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what intrigued me about this passage, here we find the wickedness, the evil, the plot, the scheme, the scam. But I also will say to you that knowing crucifixion, yet Jesus remained steadfast. Let me explain to you what I mean. 
Now, from the earliest account of crucifixion, it was known as the, it was considered as one of the most horrible forms of death. The process of crucifixion was horrible in itself. First came a scourging with a whip that was usually embedded with nails or pieces of glass or bone to heighten the pain. Many died from the scourging before they even got to the cross. The place of execution was usually outside the city and the criminal was made to carry all or part of his cross and if he was unable, then someone was pressed to carry it for him. The process of attaching the person to the cross was either that they were fastened to a cross piece and were raised to a cross that was already standing by robes or they were fastened to the cross and then the cross was raised. The person was then tied, nailed to the cross, depending upon the method used by the soldiers who carried out the punishment. When the male factor arrived at the cross, he was stripped naked. And what clothes he had were divided among the soldiers, usually a unit of four soldiers with one being the leader. And many times when you were on the cross, that came from asphyxiation or pure exhaustion. And if they were bound, it might take days to die because as they are breathing up and down, it scratches the backbone of their body, the back of their body. And that causes a wound to begin opening up. And the crucified one will to a certain extent then reach to a point where he cannot raise himself up to allow his lungs to breathe. And that was hastened by the breaking of the legs. Usually the body was left to rot on the cross and this was done as a deterrent to those who entered the city so that anyone who saw that cross will be reminded not to become a criminal. Crucifixion was capital punishment and the sight of the crosses to those who came into the city was a grim reminder that justice was awaited those who engaged in criminality. So pastor, why are you reading that? Because Jesus knew what was after him. He knew exactly what crucifixion meant. And in this passage, the Bible said in verses 2, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So Jesus wasn't going into this without knowing what he was in, getting into. He exactly knew that crucifixion and what it consists. Jesus here, as we find it, understand that crucifixion wasn't only a humiliating way to die, but it was also an extremely painful way to die. Hence, it asked the question then, why was he willing? Why? Why did he even agree to do it? Knowing what this would involve, knowing the pain, he has seen enough criminals hung on that cross. He knew what this involved. But knowing that, why was he willing to do that? We're going to answer that in a moment. But in Matthew 26, 46, Jesus in this passage says, Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. 
Matthew 26, 63 to 64. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So in both these passages, Jesus never retreated, took a step back, denounced or renounced, saying that, no, I'm not willing to go through this pain. You don't find that. In fact, in both this, he says, my betrayer is at hand. I'm going to stay put. Let him come and get me. Jesus was not a wimp. He was a man. He said, let them come and get me. I'm the bit, my betrayer is at hand. And then he, when, when, when they asked him the question, do you, you say you are the son of God. Is it true? And what did Jesus say? Jesus didn't play games and you know, gimmick or you know, lie to the chief priest. He said, it is as you said. That's who I am. And when you continue to read, and, and, and I'm just going to make a few points here. Whatever plant the soldier made the crown from, one of the commentators say, must have had sharp barbs and spines which cut into Jesus' head. And they didn't set this crown lightly on his head, but whacked him on top of it with the reed, the mock scepter they had put in his hand, whereby they drove the sharp points of the thorn into his head, which must have given him inexpressible pain and torture. Another one that said, when Jesus finally arrived on Golgotha, the soldiers laid him on the cross, then drove heavy metal nails through his wrists. According to many sources and a spike through his feet, one source said the soldiers would have turned his feet outward so the nail could be driven through the Achilles tendons. When hanging on the cross, difficult to breathe, he would have had to put all his weight on his feet to gasp a breath or two then because of the excruciating pain in his feet, lower himself down, putting all his weight on the nails in his wrist. So for six hours, Jesus pushed himself up, gasped for breath, then dropped back down for a minute or two. Unimaginable pain in his wrist and arms, pushed himself up again over and over until he died. Now, if you think that's a fairy tale, then I can't help you. But if you think that is true, which I know it's true because it is the word of God. And there are enough number of disciples and authors that have returned on the crucifixion scene. Then as I am convinced it's true, because like I say, if you think it's a fairy tale, that's a different story altogether. But if it's true, then how has Christians today lost the price Jesus paid? How is it that we forget, wow, someone would do that for me? But then the question is, at this stage, at any one of this point, Jesus could have resorted to pulling back. You realize he had the power to. Don't forget that. He had the power. John 10, 18. Look at this passage. I'm giving you scriptures this morning so you can read them and, this, and, and digest them. No one takes it from me. 
I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. What did Jesus say? I can take my life up anytime. I refuse to do this. I can choose not to do it. It's my choice. Then leads us to the question, why? Why? Why go through all of that, Jesus? Why? Why are you so willing to go through all of that? Why? Theoretically, an atonement was required. Right? That's why they sacrificed bulls, rams, sheep, goats. An atonement was required. But the atonement and the only reason why Jesus was willing to go through all of this, only one reasonable, acceptable explanation is because the atonement was underscored with love. That's the only reason. It was his love for humanity. That's it. I know you expected something deep, but that is the reality. The only reason, the only reason he would be willing to be nailed, he would be willing to be scourged, beaten, bleed, face all of that, is because he loves you. So much. So much. And that leads us then to the question, do we love him as much? If he did all of that because of this, you see, Christ in agreement to doing this was done because of obedience. He did it because it was a command. His Father in heaven said there is an atonement, a requirement. Someone needs to die for these people. They've committed unrighteousness. They've committed sin. Someone has to die. And Jesus said, I will do it. Jesus was sent for that purpose. He agreed to that. That agreement was the subject of obedience. But the element involved in that obedience was love. John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. In essence, the story of the cross is then the story of God's love for humanity. And that is what's missing in every other faith and belief today. Pastor, you're arrogant to say, no, beloved, I'm not. I'm just stating the fact that I am convinced that Jesus, the true living God, loves us so much that He gives us such an incredible opportunity to be reconciled with Him and His Father. I view it as a beautiful setting, an opportunity given to us to be reconciled with the Father in heaven. You see, the crucifixion was necessary since it was a custom of the day, but the atonement who willingly agreed to die a gruesome death simply perfected love and obedience. Christianity, as I said, is not just another religion. To consider it no different from others is to simply dismiss the value of the cross. Have we forgot the pain our Savior had to go? Have we forgotten the struggle, the agony, the hardship, the, the agony He had to face in order to forgive us, to achieve the cross? He went through all of that, beloved. Have we forgotten that? 
the knowing of what Jesus had to go through. That's why I'm preaching this. Because we forget. We graphically forget. We forget visually what Jesus had to go through. As simple as the sermon is, but the knowing of what Jesus had to go through demands appreciation through righteous living. I cannot hurt my Savior after what He's gone through for me. I cannot sin because of what my Savior had to go through. For. I cannot allow myself to be given to unrighteous after what He has done for me. The definition of our walk with God can be traced to the value we place on the cross. Caiaphas, mentioned in, this, in the Word of God here, is a very interesting character. Caiaphas, as we understand, the man behind the plot, he was the man that drove uh, his soldiers to be, uh, uh, to be uh, after Jesus. He plotted to kill him. If you understand anything about Caiaphas, beloved, he was a religious leader. He led the Jews into worship. He was a religious leader that practiced the religious rituals in the temple. He was in fact in charge of temple treasury. He was the priest. He was the person in charge of the attendance and he was in charge of the priest in the temple. He was an incredibly influential man under the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And as a high priest, he had no power under law, listen very carefully to me, to execute people. He could not execute, kill, or even judge, uh, 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 bring a charge upon someone to uh, uh, exercise judgment on them. So what he did is he took Jesus to Pontius Pilate because he couldn't kill him himself. So he got the Romans involved and he asked Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the time, and he called on the Romans to crucify Jesus. But essentially, Pontius Pilate was the man who influenced and plotted for the crucifixion to happen. Now, why am I telling you that story? Because there are two people who stood at the cross when Jesus died. And I want you to think with me about this. We're going to read two verses of Scripture. Mark 15, 31. Mark 15, 31. So notice in this, notice in this passage, likewise the chief priest. Who's the chief priest? Caiaphas, right? Okay. Mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Right? And then just, just read verses 32 for the sake of uh, uh, reference this morning. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. So here we find Caiaphas, the religious leader, the man of influence, the man who is so-called recognized in the temple, loved by the Jews because he was so-called a religious leader. Right? And he sits at the cross and what does he do? He looks up to Jesus and says, Ha you said you're the son of God, isn't it? And he mocks him, he criticizes him and he walks away. But then there at that scene, was a Roman. 
a Roman soldier. In verses 39, the same scene. Take your mind to that same scene on the hill of Calvary, Golgotha, the cross. And here we find the Roman soldier in verses 39. So when the centurion, sorry, the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Two different responses from the singular event that transpired in history. And this is the reality of our lives today. Are we a Caiaphas? Or are we a centurion? Because that's what really transpired here. I shift, as I shift the focus on Caiaphas, because of religion, when Caiaphas saw the cross, he walked away from Calvary with religion. He justified himself. He said, I'm okay, I'm righteous, I'm a good man. Nothing is wrong with me. In fact, I'm the guy behind the, the pulpit. I'm the guy at the synagogue. I'm the guy who sacrificed. You know how much I do for God? You know how involved I am? Do you know all that I'm involved? Do you know how much I pray? Do you know how much I know from the scrolls and the law? You know all these things. I know all of these things. He's the man that leaves Calvary with religion. But the centurion whose people put Jesus on the cross, looked up and he left Calvary with a relationship with God. Because he saw a difference. He saw the price Jesus paid. So I'm asking you, if the price Jesus paid really means anything to us, it should drive us to respond like the centurion. Because he saw it all. You can read it all. You know the price Jesus had to, you know what he had to face. You know the, the, the very pain that Jesus had to go through. We don't feel it. Because this world wants to desensitize us to what Jesus has done. And I say this morning, the cross demands a response. If Christianity is all about but another religion, then we will only remain the same and unchanged. Can I tell you, beloved, we were talking about it, even Brother Victor brought up a question interesting the other day, and we talked about it, will, 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 will all these people go to heaven? What will happen? And the truth is, beloved, we have some very good character people who don't believe in Jesus. You know you can go out. I, I, I've, I've met many Buddhists, many Muslims, many Hindus. I can tell they're so much nicer than some Christians. They are more honest sometimes. <laughs> they are more polite sometimes. They're kinder. They're willing to help. But we cannot be mistaken with the reality that their upbringings, we grow up in homes, we put character in our children, we teach them how to be dig dignified, we teach them how to have good 
ethics. We teach them how to speak politely. We teach them kindness. Those things are, are inbuilt. We, we begin to grow in that environment. And so be careful when we're mistaken because of people's good works that they must be right with God. The Bible says Jesus had to go through all of this so that we can be saved. So that we can make heaven our home. And Jesus displays this to us. And the question remains this morning, are we Caiaphas or the centurion? We can look at the cross and we can mock it. We can say, who cares what Jesus did? I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to continue down the path I want to continue down. I'm in church. I come, I worship, I lift my hands, I sacrifice, I give, I do this, I do that. Just like what Jonathan Edwards says, nominal Christianity. Have we been changed? The cross... You know what keeps me away from falling into sin? I'll tell you. When I reflect back on what Jesus did on the cross. say I cannot hurt my Savior after what He has done for me. You know what keeps me faithful? It's knowing that my God was faithful to me. You know what makes me generous? It's knowing that my God was generous to me. You know what helps me to be gracious to people? is knowing that my God showed grace to me. It all goes back to the cross. So then let's close with the cross. Because the cross is truly relevant today as it has been in the past. During a, a young boy once accompanied his mother to worship. During the sermon, the boy was listening very attentively to the lesson that day. The preacher's sermon was on the crucifixion of Christ. It was so moving that the young boy began to weep. Soon he began to cry aloud. His mother became so embarrassed that she whispered to him, don't take it so seriously. I thought about that and how many times that's exactly what Christians do with the cross. They may not verbally say it, but they act out in taking the cross with no value. Without the cross this morning, beloved, we, we must take the cross very seriously. That's what I'm trying to say. We must, we must remember the cross plays a significant role in Christianity. Without the cross, there is no salvation. If Jesus didn't die, there is no salvation. If Jesus didn't go through all that he had to go through, there is no salvation. This is why Satan minimizes the cross. This is why he makes us feel like we are all the same and we are all one and all of that. But beloved, he minimizes the cross. He eliminates from our minds the value. He eliminates from our minds the price that Jesus paid. That we go through Christianity every day and many of us, unless it's Easter, we forget the price that Jesus paid. We would weep, we would cry maybe if we showed a video on the cross, the passion. <laughs> but do we live like the cross every day? Every day. It's not just an emotional moving. 
It was a reality. The uniqueness of our faith, as I said, lies in a Savior who died on a cross to make a way for us. Now that reality separates us. And it must never be devalued, beloved. Jesus didn't miss a beat when they asked him if he was the Son of God. He wasn't intimidated. He didn't hide from the truth. Listen very carefully. He, didn't, he wasn't intimidated. Why is it that Christians today are so intimidated to tell people the truth? Why are we so afraid? Yes, Jesus is the way. Jesus loves you. He died for you. Tell me who else have ever done that for you? Who else? So you're a Christian. You're one of those people. Yes, I'm one. I remember talking to a man one time. He said, oh, you're Christian. Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, you're one of them. Lah. I say, yes, I'm one of them. And whatever that means. Whatever it means. <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> but I ask you to think, think with me. Just think about it. After all he paid on that, on that cross for us, are we ashamed to tell people we are Christians? Are we ashamed to tell people that yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? It's not offensive. It's not, I'm not being offensive. You can be polite to people. You can be nice to people. You can be respectful to people. But you can stand your ground. Just like you would say, I believe that this is the way. You may start a business and you're convinced this is the way. People may tell you this, that you can think it through. You can think about it. But say, no, I'm confident this is That must be your Christianity. That yes, there are many ways. I know. Oh, you can do this. You can. Yes, I agree. No problem. You believe what you want to. I believe Jesus is the way. Why? 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 Because He changed my life. I don't know anyone else who went to the cross and gave Himself, who was nailed to that cross. Anyone else who was sacrificed like that? How offended would Jesus feel? Imagine when he knows we don't even stand up for him to say, you know what, no, it's different. You have good works. You're a nice person. But Jesus made a way. He made a way. And that's why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know what Paul is saying? The most insightful revelation you can ever have about Jesus. Even if you don't know anything else, you may not know uh, anything else from the Bible. You may not be uh, mo the most uh, intelligent or the most insightful, the most uh, 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 you know, studious person. But the one thing you must, you must, you must know, Paul says, is that Christ and him crucified. That one virtue itself will keep, you to, will keep you right with God. That one virtue itself will enable you, beloved, to walk in holiness and godliness. When I look at the life of a person, I can tell you where the cross really stands in your life. You're a righteous, God-fearing person. It means the cross has taken centrality in your heart because you reflect and you remind you, He paid a price for me. I cannot let him down. I cannot let God down. 
reading a story as I close here. Story is told about two brothers who once lived completely opposite lives. The older was a God-fearing man, good to everyone. The younger was rebellious, even violent. The older brother tried to influence him, the younger, but in vain. One evening, while the older sat quietly in his home, the younger brother stormed in with blood on his clothes, shouting, Save me if you can! I've killed a man and the police are after me! The older replied, Quick, let's change clothes! So they did so. The murderer put on the white garment of his older brother, the innocent brother put on the blood-stained garment of his young brother. Scarcely had they finished, the police arrived. Seeing the older brother in bloody clothes, they knew they had found their man and dragged him from his home. They had no doubt that he was the one they sought. Brought to court, the accused admitted his guilt. The judge bowed to what seemed clear evidence and sentenced him to death. He had one last wish. At the moment of my execution, please give my brother this letter. His wish was granted. Later, when the brother opened the letter, he read, I died in place. I died in your place, in your bloody garment, for your guilt. I was happy to make this sacrifice for you. And I ask that now you also live a life of love and goodness in response. The innocent brother was dead. Nothing could change the fact. But as often as the former comrade asked the younger brother still living to participate in an act of violence and evil, he would simply reply, I cannot do it in the white garment I received from the brother who died for me. This young man's life became changed because he now realized the price that was paid by his brother for his own mistakes. And he said, and, and his, when his former comrade said, what, let's go and do some more violence. He said, I can't do that anymore after what my brother has done for me. I'm asking you, does the cross remain relevant to you today? Is it still, does it still hold value? I will defend it when people say, oh, this is right, this is right. After what Jesus did on the cross and you are making an excuse for ungodliness? I'm challenging you, beloved. Don't forget. Jesus had the power to back away. But he didn't. He went on forward. Why? Because he loved us. So I think the question to end with then, do you love him as much? Bow your heads with me. See, Christianity is not a fairy tale. 